This is KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah, and this is Ezra Bik. and today we have the next uh, installment in the series of Shiurim on the structure of Tefillah. And today, having finished Birkot Kriyat Shema, we are about to begin Shmon Esrei. And today we're going to talk about not Shmon Esrei itself, well actually we are, but... Formally, our topic is not Shema ourself, but the connection, the transfer from the Kod Kriyat Shema to Shema And this is based on a statement found in the Gemara, in Barachot, Daftal, the Mudbet, in the name of Rav Yochanan. Amar Rav Yochanan, Ezehu ben ha'olam haba, Zeh ha'somech, Gula shel arvit litfila shel arvit. Rabbi Yochanan, who is speaking about tefillat arvit, but as we shall see, that, that that is not a crucial point here, says that one is supposed to lehasmich to to make close to conjoin geula, which means the bracha gaal Yisrael. And Tefillah, which means Shmanesri. And our topic today is Smichut Geula Litfila. This statement of Rabbi Yochanan, who says that you're Ben Haolam Haba, one is guaranteed a portion in the world to come. The expression Ben Olam Haba, a son, a, a, an owner. Ben means one who, who has a portion. So Ben Olam Haba means that you you own a portion in Olam Haba because you co-join Gula Litfila. He's talking about Arvit. They be trying to explain. He's coming to say even Arvit because in Shacharit it's more obvious and more obligatory. And the Gemara in Daftet, in fact, quotes the statement in a more general sense and has a slightly different uh, praise, a slightly different. Uh, uh, you might say, uh, reward. Not Olam Haba, but even Olam Hazeh. The Gemara says, Heid, Rabbi Yitzchak ben Eliakim, Mishum Kila Kadisha de Berushalayim. An unusual uh, attribution. Rabbi Yitzchak ben Eliakim testified in the name of the Holy Congregation of Yerushalayim. Hard to say who that is. But obviously it's an important an ancient tradition. Kol hasomech geula litfila. Here it doesn't say Arvit. He who co-joins geula to tefila, enon izok kol ayom. He's prevented. He's guaranteed non-injury all the day. This is the reason why one is not allowed to interrupt, to speak, to do any sort of interruption between geula. Magal Yisrael and Shmonesri. And I imagine most of us are familiar with the halachic sugya, uh, which derives from that statement. And that is a question whether or not one is permitted to answer Amen to the Bacha of Goal Yisrael if one hears it from someone else. In other words, if the Chazan, for instance, says, Bochat Hashem Goal Yisrael, would you be allowed to answer Amen since you're not allowed to interrupt? You have to lahasmich, you have to join Gula directly to uh, to Tfila. Obviously you could argue that Amen is not an interruption, it's it's 
it's almost part of the Bechah. But the Apostle would think that it is a problem, and therefore the Minag is to avoid the problem by not being obligated to answer Amen. How does one not answer Amen? So the, the proper method is to recite the Bracha together with the Chazan, so that you end the same time he ends, and therefore one does not answer Amen to his Bracha, so as not to appear to be answering Amen to one's own Bracha. That's the proper and preferred, and preferred method. Uh, for some reason, there is a reason uh, relatively recently, I, I think in the last 50 years or so, a minute of a different solution to the problem of hearing the chazan and not wanting to answer Amen to Gal Yisrael. And that solution consists of the chazan not saying the bracha out loud. Uh, it's very common in shuls. Chazan gets to that point, he says, Hashem, and then just fades into silence. Uh, many poskim objected to that minute. It's not clear where it arose. On the assumption that the Chazan has an obligation to say tefillah out loud, at least the Chatimot, at least the endings of each Bracha, he's supposed to say out loud. That's his job. And uh, since Kriyat Shema Ubil Choteha, the Bachot of Kriyat Shema are part of Tefillah B'Tzibur, this is what makes Tefillah B'Tzibur Tzibur, but the Chazan recites it out loud. Uh, that's how it's quoted in the postcard. The Chazan says the Tefillah out loud. We, because everyone davens, you don't have to hear it, so therefore we've, we've lowered the Chazan's obligation to the minimum. The minimum is... The, the summation and the conclusion of each of each bracha. So the chazan must say Ga'ayisad out loud. And therefore, as long ago as I think the 1940s, of Henkin wrote a tshuva objecting to the, uh, what he says, the new minhag of having the chazan say the bracha quietly and repeating what had been written in the post earlier. The chazan should say it out loud and people should say it together with him out loud and therefore not to say Amen. It's interesting how Menhagim uh, developed. We imagine always Menhagim must be something ancient for the Middle Ages, but it's quite clear that this Menhag, for instance, was unknown to the Mishnah Bura, who mentions three possibilities how to avoid saying Amen and doesn't mention having the Chazin be quiet. This is a relatively new Menhag, and it's really picked off. I have heard sometimes Chazanim who they used to, they grew up in a shul where the Chazin always said guys so quietly. And therefore in Ma'ariv, where the last thing before Kriyat, before Shmoneshwe is a Kaddish, and therefore we in fact do not somech geula litfila in Arvit, since we have a Kaddish between Ga'al Yisrael and the Tfila. But when they get to the end of the Kaddish, they say the ending, Imu Amen, they say it quietly, so you won't answer Amen to the Imu Amen. Which of course makes no sense at all, because you answered Amen to the previous Amens. And, and the Kaddish itself is an interruption. But somehow in their heads, they got this idea that there's a Minag Yisrael is to finish off Shmoneswe by sliding into silence. You, you slowly fade out. And therefore they do it even in Ma'ariv. It shows you how an incorrect Minag spawns even more incorrect and more absurd children. To go back to our topic. So the Gemara says there's something important about Smichut Gulal Tfilah. Interestingly enough, the Gemara doesn't say that you have to do it. Both statements that I quoted, the one of Rabbi Yochan and Dabdalid, and the Kehila Kadosh of Yushalayim on Daftet, both don't say you have to do it. They say, if you do it, that's wonderful. Rabbi Yochan says, if you do it, you'll, be, you'll get Olam Haba. And the Kehila Kadosh of Yushalayim said, if you do it, as Nizok Kol Hayom, you will be protected from injury the entire day. So obviously it sounds like a good thing to do. But in terms of Halacha, 
it would not appear from these statements that you must, that Chazal instituted a requirement. Uh, nonetheless, perhaps because of the very high praise involved, uh, the halacha of the poskim more or less treats it as a halachic requirement. Uh, to the extent that the question arises, what happens if this halachic requirement stands in contradiction to a different halachic requirement? For instance, tefillah What happens if you come to shul and you come late? And the tzibur is now standing, the congregation is beginning to say Shmon So if you say Kriyat Shema and it's Brachot first, in order to be Somech Gulad Tefillah, you will lose Tefillah B'Tzibur. If you daven immediately with the congregation, you will lose Smichut Gulad Tefillah, which is preferable. The Allah has accepted by the Palskim is that in Shacharit, where Smichut Gulad Tefillah is very important, it's better to be Somech even though you will not daven b'tzibur. So the, the whole argument and the question involves the relative weight of two halachic requirements or two halachic obligations. Okay, our question is why? What does it mean? What in fact is the connection, the important connection, the crucial connection between gu'ula or kriyachma if you wish and Tefillah, and Shemonese. This question is addressed by Rabbeinu Yona in his commentary on Barachot. Rabbeinu Yona, Girondi, Rabbeinu Yona Hasid, the author of the Shari Tshuva, and the author of very, very important and interesting and novel Chidushim on different Masechtot, cousin of the Ramban, and the Rav of the Rashba. Rabbeinu Yona, in his commentary to Barachot, addresses this question, specifically addresses the what he thought was the ex- extravagant praise in Rabbi Yochanan's statement. You get Olam Haba because you did this. You know That means, no matter how else you live, just because you didn't interrupt when you finished Ga'al Yisrael, you immediately said Shavu Nesrei, that gets you to Olam Haba. Rabbi Yonah, who was called Rabbi HaChassid, he was not merely a brilliant scholar, but also in his lifetime was called a Chassid. He was known as a, as a pietist, He's one of the first Musa authors in Jewish history. So at first glance, he thought that there's something almost unethical about this statement. If the Gemara would say that someone who does great deeds gets Olam Haba, I understand it, but someone who's Somech Gulalit Fila, that's all he bothered to do. Yesh Lahakshot. He says, I have a question. Just because he's Sumer Gula he gets such a great reward as to be guaranteed. Guaranteed a place in Olam Haba. Omer Mori Harav. Now comes the answer. The, the actual commentary was written by a student of Rabbeinu Yonah, not by Rabbeinu himself. And he regularly quotes Rabbeinu Yonah. Here he says Rabbeinu Yonah's answer. There are in fact two answers here. I'm going to concentrate on the first. The second is actually similar, I think, when you when you get to the underlying philosophic assumptions. If we have time, we'll mention it. But I wish to concentrate on the first answer. Omer Mori Harav. My master, the rabbi, said, Shahatam, gadol Why does one merit such a great reward for semichut geulah for combining redemption with prayer? Here's the answer. For when God, when He 
redeemed us and took us out of Egypt. The purpose was that we should be his servants. We should be his slaves or servants. That we should serve him. As is written, Ki avadai hem asher hotseiti otam me'eretz mitzrayim. Pasuk says in connection uh, with the exodus of Egypt, Pasuk says, God states, For they, the Jews, are my servants who I have ta- whom I have taken out of Egypt. It's interesting passage, but it undoubtedly exists. We are used to saying that the exodus from Egypt was to take the Jews out of bondage into freedom. And that statement has numerous support supports in different Pesukim. But this Pasuk says not quite the same thing. Leaving Egypt did not take you out of bondage into freedom. It took you out of bondage into a different bondage. From being a slave to Egypt to being a slave to God. Now, obviously, I think there's no contradiction. I think being a slave to God is freedom. As Chazal said, Chirut al Chirut al Chirut al Chirut. The Ten Commandments were engraved, engraved on stone. Chirut al And Chazal, in a drasha, said the word Chirut, engraved, sounds like Chirut, freedom. Who is he who is free? Only he who uh, follows the Torah. Obeying God's law. In other words, being a servant of God, being a slave to God, being uh, um, under under God's uh, ownership, under God's sovereignty, is in fact the path to freedom. But to get back to Beniana, the Pasuk says that they are my slaves whom I have taken out of Egypt. He understands this to mean they are my slaves for I have taken them out of Egypt. The exodus from Egypt was inaugurated, brought the Jews into this relationship to God, the relationship of servitude to God. And when we say the bracha of Ga'al Yisrael, we mention the mercy of God who has taken us out of Egypt. And Tfila, Shmonesrei, he avoda. Shmonesrei is by definition, this is the crucial point, Shmonesve is by definition avodah service. Kidiyamrinan, the Gemara in Babakama says, Va'avatem et Hashem elokechem zuhit fila. Hasuk says, and you shall serve the Lord your God. And the Gemara says, how does one do that? By tefila. In fact, that is the Pasuk on which the Rambam bases his opinion that davening tefila is a mitzvah midioraita. There's no such pasuk. says you should daven. Pasuk says you should serve God. And the Gemara says, what is the service of God? Service which is balev, service which is in your heart. Zotafila. Therefore, Ben concludes. So, when one mentions the exodus of Egypt and prays immediately, one says, Ga'al Yisrael, and immediately says, one mentions the exodus of Egypt and prays immediately, he shows, he declares that just as a slave who has been purchased and owned by his master 
must obey his master's command, so he too, this person who's davening, he too recognizes the uh, goodness and the redemption which God has performed for him and that he is God's servant and he serves him. And since he recognizes that he is the servant of God who has redeemed him and he does his will and his mitzvot, therefore the conclusion we realize that he will merit the life of the world to come of Olam that is the end of the answer of Abenu Yonah. What has Abenu Yonah done? He's introduced a number of concepts, some of which might have been obvious, except when you make them clear, crystal clear, in the context of Abenu Yonah, I think they perhaps change their meaning for us. Abenu Yonah says, one, the purpose of the Exodus, meaning the purpose of Jewish history, the existence of the Jew is the service of God. Two, davening is an expression of the service of God. That, that, that's not an obvious point. It's, or in the contrary, perhaps it's so obvious we forgot what it means. Right? In, in, in old Sidurim, and, and a little bit in our usage today, we still have this phase of, of you talk about when you go to, if you speak really good English, as opposed to most of us who speak a, uh, a, a New York Jewish, American English Jewish jargon. But if you speak English the way you should, and so tefillah is called the service which is you know found in an old English siddur and in fact is a direct translation of this concept ezuhi tefillah omer tefillah davening is service service in its original sense in the, from the root of servitude of slavery of servant. Tefillah is the service of God. Why is Tefillah the service of God? A very, very good question. Most of us imagine we dive in because we want to serve ourselves. You need something. God can give it. You go and you ask Him for it. You're not serving God. You're taking care of yourself. But Chazal didn't see it that way. Chazal saw that Tefillah, even though its most important part is requests, but these requests are the requests of an Eved Lerabo. Gomara Barachot is full of that expression. Evet she mitchanein l'rabo, evet she meshabeach l'rabo, evet she model l'rabo. When you stand before God in tefillah, specifically in tefillah, you are a servant standing before his master. Perhaps we have to think a little bit like in the Middle Ages, when they were still servants, or maybe as a servant standing before his king. You're bound to the service of your, of your Lord. You may not be a slave in the technical sense, you will be a free man, but free men were in medieval times, say, in feudal times. So each one was bound in the service of his Lord. And Chazal, that's the, that's the, the metaphor that explains the relationship of the Jews to God. And tefillah is what a servant does for his master. The fact that he's asking for himself, well, servants are totally dependent on their masters and therefore have to ask for their food from their master. So, if you realize that you're totally dependent, in my opinion, that's the crucial point here. 
if you're totally dependent on God, and you are, of course, and therefore, when you need something, all your needs come from Him. It's not merely a wise thing to do to ask God, it's also part of the relationship. That's what a master and a servant have. The master provides for all the needs of the servant. Because a servant is totally obligated to serve his master, and therefore he has no food of his own, and no way of supplying his own needs. All those things fall on the master. So, tefillah, both the sections of praise, and the sections of thankfulness, and the sections, the important middle section, the most important middle section, of requests, are all avodat Hashem, they're the service of God. Once we make that assumption, the Benyon says, this is what it means, smichut gu'ula letfilah. Smichut gu'ula letfilah ensures that I realize that when I daven, I'm not merely thinking of myself. I'm not merely doing a wise, um, empirically valid process of ensuring my future. I'm not investing in the stock market. Since I have first mentioned, declared, reminded myself of the fact that God took me out of slavery. He, so to speak, saved me from drowning. Therefore, I belong to God. The concept that the exodus from Egypt doesn't create freedom, but creates the service of God, is based on the simple assumption that if God has taken me out of Egypt, He has taken me from my masters, from my oppressors, therefore I'm totally obligated to serve Him. You state that in Berkat Geula, that's the relationship that we have with God, that He is our Redeemer. We are, we are drowning were it not for Him. As I pointed out last week, He's not only our historic Redeemer, but He's our continual Redeemer. God redeems you from the slavery in which you were and which surrounds you and which threatens to engulf you at all moments. So therefore you are in the hand of God and you are in His service. And then you daven. That transforms your tefillah from being a selfish, egotistical endeavor to make as much money, benefit, goodness as possible through a means which we hopefully works, namely appealing to God, to being the service of God. You pray to God not as he who has all the money and maybe he'll give me some, but he who owns me. And therefore, I in fact believe that my welfare is in his hands and in his responsibility because I am his servant and I accept upon myself to be his servant and to serve him. Hence, Abenir then concludes, well, of course, this idea of the service of God also ensures and includes Olam Haba, in what sense? Well, the service of God means you'll do mitzvot, it means you'll do everything for God. And if you, if you fulfill in the fullest sense the service of God, then that's what Olam Haba is all about. Then, of course, you'll be in Olam Haba because you do the mitzvot, you follow God's command, and therefore you receive your just, your just reward. So, what does Rabbi Yona explain for us? The main point is, he says, two totally different concepts. 
One is praise for God for what he did in ancient times and, as I said, repeats over and over again, namely that he redeems the Jewish people. Two, I have my personal problems that I wish to speak to God about. I have things which need to be, problems which need to be solved and God is he who is going to solve them. What is the connection between the two? And most importantly, why is that connection so important? Why is it crucial to make that connection? Bayona explains that praising, mentioning, declaring, and accepting the notion of Yitziat Mitzrayim ensures, transforms the meaning of davening. Because Yitziat Mitzrayim, if you realize this, Yitziat Mitzrayim isn't merely I thank God, I praise God for a great thing. But it's, a, but it's obliging. If God has taken you out of Egypt, you're not merely obliged to thank Him. You're obliged to serve Him. It changes who you are. You're not a free man negotiating with another free person, God, who happens to be richer than you and therefore you want to get something from Him. It's not the negotiations of two equal partners, but since God, and specifically as a Jew, so to speak, but being honest, it's an amazing thing. Non-Jews are freer, freer than, than Jews relative to God. Because we've been redeemed and they have not been redeemed. And the redemption makes us God's servants. That servitude of God daven that way. So we have here a new understanding of Geula. That Geula changes who you are. It transforms you. We have an important point, which I think is not novel, but perhaps revealing. It, 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 when you understand it, it's, it, it becomes novel. That Tefillah is itself an expression of servitude of the service of God, for those who don't like the word servitude, so say the word service, and the connection between them. Ga'al Yisrael, Ga'ulat Yisrael, transforms the people who were nig'alu from being slaves of slaves to being slaves of God. And the connection, Smichut Ga'ulat Yisrael, transforms Tefillah from being service of oneself, an egotistical exercise in self-indulgement to itself, an expression of the service of God, I would say despite its content, or even because of its content, despite its content, which is very much focused on me, as well as on God, but it's focused on me as being dependent on God, and therefore in the service of God as well. Hence, Ben Yonah says, he who does this is Ben Olam Abba. This is not some tactical halacha, or wouldn't it be nice if it was connected to be. This changes the whole nature of tefillah. I would say even more. It changed the whole nature of being human, of being Jewish, excuse me. Smichud Gulal Tefillah places us in a particular relationship with God which is radically revolutionary. You're not somebody who needs somebody who needs something from God. You're somebody who belongs to God because you are totally dependent on Him because He has taken you out of the house of bondage and brought you lit of dough, and he has brought you into his service. And someone who understands that will, I think, be praying in a radically different, in a radically different manner. Benyona has 
Mm, I have two minutes. Vayon has a second answer. I'll read it quickly. And I think that in the philosophical understanding, it's basically the same thing, although technically it's different. My master, Rabbi Yonah, said a different answer. Because when you mention the redemption of Egypt and you pray immediately, you show that you trust in God in your tefillah. When you ask for Him, because you ask of Him to fulfill your needs. Because he who does not trust in God won't ask from him things. Will not ask him to provide since you don't know if you're going to get it. Um, and then he quotes a, uh, a medrash from Pashat Bo that uh, uh, Paro uh, said to him uh, it says in the medrash that when the Jews saw the great miracles that God had done in Egypt then they Trusted God. It says, Therefore, when one mentions now the great Gula of Mitzrayim, and therefore the Rebbein is saying, when you mention the Gula of Mitzrayim and you remember the miracles, remember how powerful God was, how He was able to change nature, and which our forefathers, because of those miracles, learned to trust God, And then you pray immediately. You show that you also have the trust in God that He will answer you just as He answered the Jews when they trusted Him by the dead, by the Red Sea. In other words, the idea is slightly different here. He's saying connection between Gula and Tefillah is that Gula is the basis for the trust in God. Gula showed that God can do anything and did anything and did amazing things for our forefathers. And if we pray under the impression of Gula, it means we're praying to He who was able to take the Jews out of Egypt, was able to split the Red Sea for them, was able to give them man in the desert and water from the traveling well of the desert. If you pray to that God, then you can pray with the necessary bitachon, the necessary trust, which is a crucial criteria for tefillah. I think underlying the idea here is the same idea, namely that tefillah is total dependence. The, the technical difference, difference is that the previous answer was based on servitude. And I was interested in the answer because I think that servitude probably caused a little bit of, uh, of uh, uh, negation, a little bit of opposition on your parts. We don't like the word servitude. We were born free in a free country. And servitude is something from the Middle Ages. So say service if you don't like the word, but if you think about it, you're not going to like the word service either. But yes, that you don't like it is why I wanted to emphasize it. We are the servants of God in a very Middle Ages, very ancient sense of the word. You don't help God, you serve Him. The second answer isn't based on service of God, but based on trust, the total trust in God. Everything comes from God and from no place else. So I think it's a very similar emotional relationship. The service of God means we are totally dependent on Him and have no independence. Total dependence is lack of independence. Lack of independence means that you are not free. Okay, so even though it might sound better to you, say, yes, of course I trust in God. But if you realize that trust in God is the total dependence on God, the two concepts are very, very closely related. Uh, but still, these are two different answers. One is meaning service to service. The other one is Gula Tefillah, meaning providing to, to, to trust. And that's what 
we wish to learn today. Solve the problem of Geula to Tefillah. We've managed to pass over from Bekot Kriyachma and we're about to enter the Shemon itself and that's all we have for today. We'll be back next week with this continuing series and you've been listening to KMTT. Have a good week. Kimitzion, Tetzay Torah, Udvar Hashem, Yerushalayim.